I want to talk to you this morning about a surrendered life. We're learning from the life of Paul. Now, this guy was a warrior for God, but he didn't start out that way. As a matter of fact, he didn't like God at all. He ran from God's love for some time. I was thinking of this, and it made me think of my friend Randy Campbell. You know Randy. He's our senior administrator here in our office and one of our pastors, and he's a, he's a great guy. Randy and I uh, started in youth ministry. We served at the People's Church. He was junior high and I was high school. Uh, just how many years ago? 30. I don't know. One of the, that's hard to say for me. I feel so young, but 30 or so years ago, way, way, way back there. And, but I know this about Randy and Megan. Megan did not want to marry Randy when they first met, but Randy right away felt that God was calling them to be married. Well, they are married now, but he pursued her with his love for some time, and she thought he was a nice guy, and, you know, it's okay to be friends, but she had no interest in a long-term relationship. As a matter of fact, the more he pursued, the more she would run, And then one day, she somehow bowed to the Lord's will, and she said this to God, literal literal prayer to the Lord. Megan Campbell uh, said, uh, God, I know you're going to make me marry him, but I don't want to. (laughs) And he did make her, and, and she's happy now because Randy's an awesome guy. He's loved her incredibly as a husband, and she would tell you that her life's been so blessed, and it made me think about the way we are with God sometimes. You remember your life when he was pursuing you, and some of you, he's pursuing you still today. And you don't want to surrender because you think, I don't know what that entails, and that, you, you know, I don't know if I want that. Look what it says in 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. He loved all of us before we loved him. Jesus still pursues us. And then Ephesians 3, 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully, to understand fully. See, we don't know how great it is, but if, if you knew, you would come right away to him. You would give your whole heart to him. It says, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life. A fullness of life comes and a power that comes from God, it says. When we understand how amazing God's love is, he's easy to surrender to. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit, you're pursuing some today. Lord, in a way, you're pursuing all of us to give our all. I pray that you would move in our hearts. Lord, you know each story. You know each person. You know how much they've been hurt. You know how a church has hurt them. You know how a Christian has hurt them. But you love them so much that you want them to know, sometimes my kids don't do the right things. You want them to know, that's not me. I I don't make mistakes. I love, I pursue, and I'll give you the best. So, Lord, you draw us close to you. Let your Holy Spirit move in a great way today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about Paul, who was being pursued, but actually turned his heart against God in the early days. So here's the first point as we look at the life of Paul. Surrender to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Many here have, some haven't. Ephesians 1, verse 7, says this, and it's actually... Saul, who becomes Paul, wrote this when he, after he surrendered to God and, and the Holy Spirit was working through him. It says about God that he's so rich in kindness and grace. Is that the way you think about God, the Father? He's so rich in kindness and grace, because that's the truth, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. 
You say, what's that about? Well, God created mankind. Mankind sinned against God. Adam and Eve turned away from him. Sin separates us from God. He's so altogether holy that he can't cohabitate with sin. And now the creation that he's loved, the one that he's put on this earth, he can't walk in fellowship with us. So he had to make a way for you and I to be forgiven. He's so just that he must punish sin. That makes sense when you think about abusers, doesn't it? When you think about sin, justice makes sense. He's so just that he must punish sin, but he didn't want to punish us. And what's going on with the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins in this passage is the, 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 the wrath that, and the justice of God is falling on his own son, Jesus Christ, because he's so just that the price must be paid, and, and Jesus paid that price. He sent his only son to pay the price. And, and it says in verse 8, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. That's who God is. That's the God that's pursuing you through his son, Jesus Christ. We look at the life of Saul. He was a bad man. Saul who became Paul. He was a bad dude. He was from the Jewish tribe of Benjamin and he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, did not believe that Jesus was the way. They wouldn't ex- accept it predominantly. He was a Pharisee. You know, we talk about Pharisees in that negative sense because in the, in the New Testament, the Pharisees predominantly, some, about a third of them came to Jesus. People don't know that, but they did. But the Pharisees turned their hearts against, against God, against Jesus Christ, and, 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 and they were people uh, that wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And he was a Pharisee. Not only that, but he greatly persecuted the church in its embryonic stage, in its very beginnings after Jesus died. So much so that the Bible tells us that he was at the stoning of the evangelist named Stephen. Remember that story where Stephen looked up as they were stoning him and they were killing him and he says, I see the Father standing, uh, 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 standing in heaven, the, the Son at the right hand of God. And he died there, a martyr for Jesus Christ. When they were stoning him, Paul was there cheering them on. He was gathering their coats, the Bible says. Not only that, but he wanted to persecute Christians so much, he was going from house to house, dragging Christians out of the house. This is a Pharisee. And throwing them in jail. He was a bad man. He began to destroy, to the best of his ability, the church. And then he got converted. And God just shows up sometimes to touch us, to talk to us. Now, if we were God, we might not choose a guy who's persecuting, killing, putting Christians in prison. We might not choose him as an evangelist, right? As a matter of fact, he couldn't stay in the area that he first went to because all the Christians knew him, and they were afraid to receive from him eventually when he came to Jesus Christ. They go, hey, this is the guy that hurt everybody that was a Christian. But Jesus meets him, and it's dramatic. Acts 22.6, here's the account. It's Paul's account. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I ask? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He goes blind. He's led into the city. And this is all part of his conversion. He realizes that he's been against the one true God, the way, the truth, and the life. The Jesus that he was persecuting people for was really the way. And he surrendered his life. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And Saul becomes Paul, the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known. As a matter of fact, 
Paul's a man who eventually, after all that, gives us two-thirds of, two of the New Testament. 13 or 14 books, some, one of them's disputed, but, but two-thirds of the, of the New Testament were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through his hand. Wow! Is God full of grace and mercy or what? Did he take a guy who was really excited about Christians being in prison and dying and turn him around where he would be such a great man of God? But it's not just Paul, is it? When it comes to the grace of God being amazing, it's, it's, it's me. It's you. Sometimes people say, well, I can't come to church because if I do, the roof will fall in, the walls will fall in. What they mean is I've sinned so much in my life that uh, you guys wouldn't want me there. They don't know that every one of us have sinned greatly in our lives. If you've forgotten about that, it's not good because the Bible says that you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You know what the word of your testimony is? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was a sinner who went my own way, but God found me and forgave me of my sin. Remember, God's so just that sin must be punished, but he offered grace and mercy through Jesus Christ because the, 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 the sins that were on his back were our sins. And because he died on that cross and Jesus lifted him, was lifted up by God, and the Bible says when Jesus is lifted up, he'll draw all men, all mankind to himself. We've been forgiven. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Remember the wrong you did, not so that it hurts you or wounds you, but I want everybody here to know. I want everybody who comes in here and doesn't know Jesus Christ to know we're just sinners saved by grace. We're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And he loved us so much and he forgave us. I was raised in a Christian home. And I turned away from God in my youth. Not in high school, but in college. And I went my own way and I sinned and I did my own thing. And somehow the grace and mercy of God pursued me. I was running from a call of God on my life. I was called to be a pastor, and I didn't want to be a pastor. And God not only forgave me for my sin, but I remember when he was calling me into the ministry, I was saying, God, don't you remember? I made all these mistakes. I'm not worthy to do this. Paul must have felt that way at times, huh? And yet he said to me, no, I don't remember your sins, because as the Bible says, I cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up against you again. Isn't that amazing? You and I remember, but God's so supernatural, he can say about that, no, I don't remember, because I've forgiven you of that. Here's why we can come to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, 16, so let us come boldly, whoever you are, whatever you've done, the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin is to, to reject him all your life long. Every other sin can be forgiven if you just come to him and say, I need you, forgive me. I believe in you, Jesus Christ. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, it says in Hebrews. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's given freely. But if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, you'll find grace to help you when you need it most, the Bible says. God forgave <clears throat> Saul and he became Paul. God forgave me. God forgave you. And God will forgive you. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Second thought today as we look at Paul's life. Surrender your whole life. Galatians 2.20, this is Paul writing and now again 
as, as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is upon him, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What he's saying is my life is all his now. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. He surrendered completely to Christ. Not just mostly, completely. Philippians 3, 7, again, the Bible says, Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Think of life. Whatever is to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. When you become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, what should happen is he's the most important thing in life. He is Lord. He's not just Savior who saved you so you can go to heaven. He wants to be Lord in your life. And he's Lord of all or not at all. He can't be Lord if portions are held back. Horizon's purpose statement. This is why we exist. We wrote it down this way, to encourage people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. Everything. Instead of being known as a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the Pharisee in the strictest sect, as the one who is schooled above all others, now he throws all that away. As a matter of fact, he said, I counted as dung, as rubbish, as garbage. And he would take up the cross of Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean by that? He's going to give his life for the sake of the gospel. Mark 8.34 tells us about taking up our crosses. It says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Wow, so Jesus took up his cross, and it's the only one that can save, right? Our cross doesn't save. But what's he mean by this? The cross that Jesus was on was, uh, it was a place that he sacrificed. It's the place that he took pain for the sake of others. It's the place that he was willing to die to all so that we might live. And our cross is similar. It's sacrifice in our lives for the sake of God's glory. You know, we have this prosperity doctrine that we see on TV so much, and God prospers us, but, 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 but listen, the prosperity of God, that word's in the Bible, doesn't mean that you, you won't have trouble and heartache because the same Bible says those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there's something about our lives when we give the all where we say, not only am I willing to serve you and come to you, I'm willing to give my life in service to you. My life is yours, Lord. What do you want to do with it? I'm in. I can't pick up my cross if my hands are full of something else. A mediocre surrender to Christ does not lead to a life of impact. Mediocre is never meaningful. Look at athletics. Look at people who don't give their all on the field, on the, on the court. They get lazy. They're not working hard. They don't care about the win. Is a team full of that kind of player? Are they going to win? They're not going to win. And you think that if we don't give our all, that, that we're going to win? Listen, God wants to reach all those who are lost, and he, he wants all of us all in. Real surrender means wherever, 
whenever, whatever, God. Adrian Rogers was a great Baptist preacher. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he was in Romania for a missions trip. And he had a guide there, one of the locals that was walking with him, a believer. And at some point after they developed a relationship, Adrian Rogers, the pastor, asked the guide, tell me what you think of American Christians. And the guide said, I don't think you really want to know that. I don't want to say. He said, no, tell me. He said, no, I don't think I will. And he asked him several times through the days there. And finally, he said, okay, I'll tell you, but I don't think you'll like it. He said, I don't think Americans understand what Christianity is all about. Back in the 60s, you came here, you started to use the word commitment to describe our relationship with Christ. However, anytime a word comes into usage, another word goes into disuse. He continued, until the 60s, you Americans talked about surrender to Christ. Surrender means giving up control, turning over all to the master, the master Jesus. By changing to the word commitment, your relationship with Christ has become something you do, therefore you're able to keep control. Surrender, he said, means giving up all rights to oneself. You Americans don't like to do that, so instead you make a commitment. So we come to Jesus and we say, I commit this much, this part. But if you surrender, that's everything. That's your in control, God. That's knowing that he won't lead you astray, but he'll lead you to a life of impact, a life of fulfillment. Listen, there is a life of sacrifice in Jesus Christ, but it's the greatest blessing ever to see lives changed and people touched and the blessing of God on your family, covering you, helping you as you go. Romans 12:1. again, Paul, look at this commitment as the word of God is written through his hand. Romans 12, 1. So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us Great mercy. What is the mercy? It's knowing that heaven is your home forever. It's yours. No matter how hard this life is, when you give your heart to Jesus, you're going to be in heaven where there's no more pain, sorrow, or tears. He's given us that. Since he's given us this great mercy, it says, I beg you to offer your lives a living sacrifice to him. That's intense. Is my life a living sacrifice to Jesus? Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him which is the spiritual way for you to worship worship with our lives now most of you God's not going to call to be a pastor like I am or an evangelist like Donnie Moore but nevertheless you are called to give your all what's that look like for you in everyday life what's that look like in business well here's a thought for you if, if I give God everything, if I surrender all, then I can't own a business. I can only manage it because if I give him all, the business is now his. So I'm a steward of his business. But that makes life exciting. You know why? Because every day I go to work, I'm going to my ministry. I'm a businessman going to the ministry that God's giving me and I'm running his business. What happens when you run business God's way? You care about your employees incredibly. You're good to them. You're kind to them. Oh, you still have to deal with things, but when you deal with them, you're fair. You try to compensate as well 
as you can. You're there for their families. And you start to think about things in a different way. These are God's employees. So what am I going to do with God's business? You say, you don't own a business. But you're, but you're going to work to do your ministry. Whatever you do, the Bible says, do it with all your heart as under the Lord. So you're going to work and you're saying something like this. Father, here I go. What's your agenda for me today? I know I've got work to do, but I'm here to serve you. If you have someone for me to touch, I open my heart. And you know what? Most of it will be that you live the life. People would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Be a person of character. Be a person who tells the truth. Don't ever cheat. Don't ever talk about people behind their backs. That's what Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to look like the Father. We're supposed to look like Jesus. We're God's sons and daughters. His children are supposed to look like him. And when we do, people's hearts open up to him. Because they find out what we're about. Picture on the wall, book on the desk. Invitation to Easter every now and then, whatever it may be. They learn along the way, okay, this is one of those Christian people. Wonder what they're all about. And if you're about loving them, their hearts open up. I have my agenda every day I come to work. This is a ministry for sure, right? But I, I, I'm going I'm to give you a, a deep conviction I have. If you're a business owner, I don't think there's any difference between you and I and the way we're supposed to take, take care of things and manage. I'm supposed to seek God for what he would have for this congregation and serve these people. I believe it's the same for you as an owner. You're supposed to seek God about what you're supposed to do with his business and his people. Wow, man, that'll change life for you. But what happens is it gets more exciting. There's a fellow who did this. He's passed on now, but his name was Truett Cathy. He's the founder of Chick-fil-A. He started a little restaurant in 1946 thinking that chicken could make it, even if that it would be better uh, than beef. And now there's a $1.2 billion restaurant chain. Almost had one at the mall here, and they just pulled it back. But Chick-fil-A... And Kathy, the Kathy family have donated hundreds of millions of dollars to God's work, but to the public for college scholarships, for character building programs in elementary public schools, to foster homes, to a variety of causes and philanthropy. It, it was just a huge part of what they did. They wanted to serve a higher calling, Truett Kathy would say, through business. Here is their purpose statement. They began with it. It's still their purpose statement. His son is running the business now. Chick-fil-A purpose statement. Look on the screen. To glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Pretty serious business when all your employees see your purpose statement and that's what it says. Puts a little pressure on you to do things the right way, the honest way. But hey, this is what we're about, so that's not pressure. We want it to remind us of what we're doing. Is your business his business? Is his business your business? Luke 14, man, this spells it out. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. What? It may not leave your house immediately. But you know in the house that it's, everything in there is his, right? Third thought. This is intense today, isn't it? Third thought. Surrender unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You won't get all God has to unleash your life until you give God all that you are. There'll be blockage. You ever have a hose that it's not working quite right and you have to go in there and and push something out and then it opens up the full spigot, the full spout. He said these things that we hold back, it just blocks the flow of God's grace and Holy Spirit through our lives. To follow him, to do his will. That's surrender. Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So what's it mean to surrender? It means to obey the word of God, to see the word of God as truth, not what the media says to you. Boy, you need to read the word every day. I need to read it every day. You can't just come here. People who say, I don't get fed at that church. You know what that tells me? They're not getting fed during the week. And if we get in the word, we'll know what the word says about morality. This is God's word. You don't, you, 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 you'll know if someone speaking in the media is speaking something different than the word of God says if you know the word of God but we read it, we apply it to our lives, we take it into our spirits, and we walk in purity, and something of God's power is released in a greater way when we have a heart of ready obedience to follow him. But the ready obedience is not just about applying his word to our lives, but asking him, where should I go? What's the next place you have? Uh, One of the biggest problems with disciples of Christ is we make assumptions that our mind is the mind of Christ. I'm glad that Paul didn't do that, Because he might have gone to the the Jewish people to minister because he was a Pharisee. That seemed to be what would make sense, but God had something different for him. Elliot and Sarah here have been on a journey. You know how I know? Because I've been on that journey with them. Elliot and I have talked over the last couple of months, few months. He was in a good place. The Lord was doing great things. And I was feeling that perhaps the Lord would call him. I liked him because he was so sold out to Jesus. And I went to him and said, would you pray? And they went on the journey, and God started confirming and showing. It was probably not something that he had in his head to start with, because he didn't even know I was going to call. And yet the Lord showed him, this way, son, this way, daughter, this place. And God would lead us. Paul was thinking that he might go to the Jews, right? Because he's a Pharisee. He can debate with the best of them. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But God tells him something different. Look at Acts twenty two eighteen, 18. And I'm talking about our lives, submitting them before the Lord. What do you have for me? What is it that you'd have me to do? For most of you, he's not going to move you from your location, but he might move your heart to what he wants where you're already serving. That's usually what happens. Acts twenty two eighteen. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. So if he's thinking, hey, go back to the Pharisees, explain to my people how this all works and it's all going to work out, God tells him something different right away. Get out of this place, they're not going to receive your testimony. He wasn't to reach out to his own people. Acts twenty two twenty one. 21, it starts giving clarity. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The Gentiles is every other nation, every other race beyond the Jewish people. He obeys. What happens when we follow God with our whole heart? When we obey his word and we have purity in our heart, when we have obedience to follow his will and he says go, it might be the hard thing, it might be a sacrifice, but if he's truly leading and we surrender and we walk in obedience, 
His Holy Spirit will be unleashed in a powerful way in our lives. When we have a full surrender to God, a full release of the Spirit comes through our lives. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the manifestations of the Spirit. And it, it never ceases to amaze me how people get so nervous about the miraculous. Now, I know we live in a natural order and, and that that natural order is bound by science. But if there's a God, he created everything and there is a God. And so the God who spoke it into existence, is, he, he's not bound to the laws of nature like we are. He's supernatural. So doesn't it make sense that this God who created and can speak anything into existence would have the power to supernaturally move however he decided he wanted to do it? So there's the manifestations of the Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common, of common good. Now if you look at these manifestations, I'm only going to speak of one of them because I don't have time. I want you to notice, read, that's a little assignment, read 1 Corinthians 12. And ask the Lord, well, if to each one a manifestation is given, huh, that means each one of you have a special gift that comes supernaturally from the Lord that would rest upon you where the Holy Spirit would move through your life. And you say, well, why isn't that happening? Because when you give all of yourself, that's the point that you would get all of him. When you open your heart to the full release, he'll flow. I'm going to pick up one of those manifestations in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians. It says, there's a message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit that's given, or a word of knowledge. What's a word of knowledge? A word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation by God about others that could not otherwise have been known. When Jesus said to the woman at the well, um, where's your husband? It's interesting that Jesus always asks questions. He's God. He knows the answer. But he always asks to, you know, for them to, to just to lead them to the place that he's taking them. She said, I don't have a husband. And he said, that's right. You've had five, though, and the one you're living with now is not your own. What are the odds of that one being right, you know? I'm going to tell you, at the moment he said that, he had her attention. Because she knows, oh my word, I can, she said, I can see that you're a prophet. And he was much more than that. But a word of knowledge is that revelation supernaturally that God would give about others that would not have otherwise been known. And when it's shared with the person or the people, it cuts to the heart of the recipient and make, makes them aware that God is reaching to them right now. That he's real and he's reaching to them. So without... In any way, I hope that no one sees this wrong. I want to share with you how the Lord has used a word of knowledge that I gave several years ago. And I want you to know that when it comes to these gifts, um, I'm not the gift, you're not the gift, it's his gift working through us. We're just channels, right? So nobody's a big deal. I, I, you know, Donnie Moore works in these gifts as incredibly as anybody I've ever seen. As a matter of fact, God is my witness. He's, he's my friend, but God is my witness. I've never seen him give a word that wasn't true when it came to a word of knowledge. I've been around him for nearly 30 years. Now, that doesn't mean that he hasn't. I have to ask him about that. So it doesn't mean that he's God, but the gifts do flow, and sometimes they're released powerfully in people's lives, but to each one of us, a manifestation is given. So all of us have these gifts available. So we're in the Bahamas. I'm the district youth director for the Assemblies of God. 
I have over 100 kids there for an outreach. You say in the Bahamas, somebody has to go to those people, right? And it's a nice place, but they needed Jesus there too. We're moving all over the city. We meet and pray and go over the word for hours in the morning. Then we spread these kids out all over the city and they're doing skits and they're singing and people are coming the streets and they're handing out flyers inviting people to an evening meeting where where we had uh, over a thousand gatherings. And the Holy Spirit, when you, co- when you meet together like that and you commit and you pray and you go out for his purposes, the Holy Spirit works. And one day the Lord was working so incredibly through all of us and I, I walked into a supermarket we were just looking for, and I felt like the Lord said, I have a word for that young lady behind the register. So I got in line in the register. I'm moving up. She's the cashier, young Bahamian lady. And, and as I'm moving up there, I get this really specific thought moving in my heart. And I feel like the Lord's saying, I want you to say this. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that's really specific. I don't know what the odds are that that could be true, you know. And I, 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 th- I think we wrestle with those things sometimes. What if I'm wrong? Well, here's one for you. What if you're right? What if it is God? And on the way up, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm really feeling this strong. Oh, man. And then I, I just made this decision. I'd rather try and do this for God than fail by not trying at all. So when I got up here, up to her, I said this. I didn't have anything in my hands. It's like that silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. It's kind of that story. I said this to her. Your husband just left you. You have three kids and you don't know what to do. You're brokenhearted. You've been crying out to God in the darkness and saying, God, if you're real, please help me. I said, he sent me here today to tell you he's real. And she just started to weep. And I wanted to say out loud, you mean it's true? I couldn't believe it, you know? (laughs) Not like I'm a pro at this, right? But I felt the spirit of God just say, tell her you want to pray with her. And I said, would you come pray with me? She locked her register. People are standing in line walked to the middle of the aisle with me and I started to tell her about Jesus and she's just weeping, that he loves her, that he's the answer, that she needed to take him into her heart and two big Bahamian guys walked up because I'm standing there talking to a girl who's crying, right? And it's, it's, she's, she's from their country and I'm not and that's obvious and, and so I'm a little bit jittery, you know, what are they going to do? I thought they were going to drag me out but they let me pray. And right there, that young lady bowed her heart and received Jesus Christ into her life. I told her about a good church, and I said, just get there. He'll meet you, and he'll help you through this. How much does God love people? That's what this Holy Spirit thing's about. God wants the Holy Spirit to work in my life, in your life, in this church, so that wherever we go, wonderful things are happening. So these kids that were up there in, in, in eastern Oregon at Washington Family Ranch, there were 80 from our campuses, 80 teenagers that were up there, and, and they were seeking God, and there were nights when they prayed for two or three hours. It's just two weeks ago. Can you believe that? Kids in the altar praying for two or three hours, feeling like it was minutes when they were done as the Spirit of God fell. Well, what happens when you surrender your life and you give your heart? We heard last week a testimony. You guys didn't hear it because I had the young man come up to me between second and third service and say, hey, I want to share too. He was at the camp and we had the three ladies sharing. And I said, well, we'll have you share sometime. And he said, no, today. I want to share today. And I said, well, can you do it in, five, in, in, in one minute? And he said, five minutes. <laughs> I said, two. And he said, okay, I'll try. He did it in three and he was great. But he shared about... Will I still be the same when I come home? 
after God touches me that way. And he was on his run and he ran by a, a cop car that was lit up and a person looking there sad. And he's, as he ran by on his jog, he felt like the Lord spoke to him and said, go back and talk to that man that looks sad. So he turned around. This is a teenager. This is, this is a kid who's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He turns around and walks up to the cop and says, what happened? He said, this young lady just attempted suicide. He said, can I talk to that guy? And the police officer said, so go ahead. So they let him in. And he starts talking to this man who's her friend. He starts saying what happened to him at camp this week and how his life was changed and who Jesus is. And he asked the man, have you ever gone to church? And he said, I used to go to church, but I'm not, I'm not going now. And he said, you need to go to church. And he kept telling him about Jesus. And in the end, the guy said, okay, I think I'm going to church. I'm going to go. How do you get from I don't even think about these things to go back and talk to that guy? Why would you even care? Because God cares. Because God's spirit would work in you and through you. Another one from Sherwood I heard about this week. One of the kids there, a shy young man who, who can't on his own seem to talk the way that, that it came out that day. He felt like the Lord spoke to him and said, go into that coffee shop. This just happened with some of our kids on our campuses. Go, go into the coffee shop and ask people what they need prayer for and pray with them. What? Now, how many of us would say that would work, you know? Just head in there, go to table to table. This is what he did. How, can I pray with you for something? Every person, every table he went to gave him something to pray for them about, and he prayed with them. Wow. Life gets exciting, and the Holy Spirit starts to move. I know people make things up. I know people get outside the things of the Spirit, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are manifestations. There is a move of God. There is a Holy Spirit. There is an empowering. And God says, I want to use your life. And when you fully surrender, I will work through your life. For some of you, it won't be as dramatic as this, but you'll hear a prompting in your spirit to say, that single mother, her husband just left her down the block. I want you to just go down there and talk to her. I'm, I'm making this up. It'll be something like this. And as you go into her house and you start to hear her heart's lament, you can share the love of God with her. You can pray with her and the Spirit will lead your conversation. Seriously, I think people don't know sometimes that when you're in a prayer conversation and someone's hurting, those thoughts in your head are the Holy Spirit. You think, you, you might walk away thinking, man, I'm good. No, you're not that good. He's that good. And he'll work through you. And when you pray, powerful things will happen. And you'll leave and say, God is awesome. He cares about people. And he's using my life to care about them too. Paul wrote in Romans 15, therefore I glorify, I, rather, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. By what I've said and done, now look at this, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, he surrendered his heart to Jesus, he surrendered his whole life, and a release of the Holy Spirit came for him, and it'll come for us too. I'm not saying we'll be Apostle Paul's, but God will work in us and through us. Close with this verse, Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty work, power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I want you to think of that for you. God, who's so mighty, 
is able to accomplish infinitely more with you, through you, in you than you might ever ask or think. He's here today. He wants you to know he'll use your life.